This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much, Roger, and good morning. Greetings from the desert in Scottsdale, Arizona, where we're continuing to uh, work with some of the Mayo doctors to get a back problem straightened out. And uh, meantime, we've had the opportunity to spend three days in Kansas City this week. National Association of Farm Broadcasting Annual Convention and, uh, well, every convention is special to me because I've been attending those conventions since 1956 and it gives me an opportunity to uh, say hello to some people I don't see more than once or twice a year, but all of us doing the same thing, covering the world of agriculture for radio and television shows on stations across the country. This year, especially meaningful to uh, friends of Max Armstrong, and of course Max and I have worked together for 42 years, and Max was inducted into the NAFB, National Association of Farm Broadcasting Hall of Fame on Thursday night. So uh, a video presentation to introduce him and it covered his life from a little boy on a farm in uh, southern Indiana that uh, became a broadcaster and a world traveler to cover the world of agriculture. One of the acceptance remarks that he made when he accepted the induction was he said, yeah, he said, I'm sure that my parents, my mom and dad were wondering why I was sitting in a closet with this funny looking equipment pretending that I was a broadcaster and talking to myself. But uh, I guess when he was seven years old, that's when he decided he wanted to be a broadcaster. And uh, we were lucky enough to get him to join us at WGN Radio some 42 years ago. So a lot of other activities and events. Uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, who spoke to the convention group yesterday. I'm going to share a little bit of the comments that he made and also uh, the uh, opportunity to talk to Tim Andreessen, who is uh, the gentleman who heads up agricultural products at the CME Group. And uh, then uh, Max is going to talk to Arlen Suderman about markets. So uh, we have a lot to do this morning, a lot to talk about. But you know what? I get some interesting stories across my computer screen from my Reuters service. So I thought I'd start the show this morning with a fish story. A fish story datelined Elephant Butte, New Mexico, where a nine-year-old New Mexico boy landed a 42-pound blue catfish on Sunday evening while fishing in the Elephant Butte Reservoir. Chris Flores said his son Alex made the big catch by himself, shattered dad's record of reeling in a 36-pound fish a while back. And Flores says the fourth grader named the fish Waylord after the Pokemon character. Father says his son released the fish back into the reservoir after taking some photos and videos 
the fish went back to add to that 42-pound weight. But how about that? Nine-year-old boy in New Mexico catching a huge blue catfish. I didn't even know they had catfish in the state of New Mexico, but I do now. So that and a lot more activity to talk about. And we are going to uh, check in with Tim Andreessen of the CME Group when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, at the Farm Broadcasters Convention and the Illinois State Fair, yes. we look forward to visiting with Tim Andreessen of the CME Group. And uh, it's good to have you back. And I'm especially honored that you're helping young people in our broadcast industry continue. Tell me what you've done here so far. Well, you know, Orion, we think it's important that young people here and at the State Fair everywhere start to understand agricultural better. Um, you know, the, the challenge you have is that, you know, when more and more people are living away from the farm in the city, and we're just seeing that, they start to lose touch with exactly what agriculture is, what the producer does, what the rancher does. Um, so there's a couple things. You know, here um, we are very, very honored to give a scholarship to a up-and-coming uh, student in college in your name uh, to help them, you know, become educated as a potential future farm broadcaster. Right. Uh, we had a really sharp young lady uh, from Texas Tech, uh, Darby, and uh, it was great to see her. I got to tell you, I look at these kids, and there's no way I have a, had a resume anything like what these kids are doing today. And then at the State Fair, we're involved with commodity, uh, the Commodity Carnival, which is a project targeting younger kids, 7 to 14. Um, this year, we were at 120 state and county fairs with this. We do this in conjunction with 4-H. Could never do it on our own. Um, where we have a game that's helping to educate kids on uh, production of livestock. So it's really important to invest in the next generation. And your educational program, of course, for young people, great. But you've done a lot to uh, help farmers understand what options and futures are all about. Yeah, we have. We, we try to because um, we think it's important that that particularly in a year like this where you have a lot of uncertainty, you have a lot of, of challenges from a production standpoint, we have a lot of uncertainty around trade policy, um, you know, risk management's more important than ever. You know, one of the things that's very accessible to farmers is we've done a lot of work in developing some videos around how the futures market work, how options work, and they can find those at futuresfundamentals.org. Uh, it's a great resource if you want Say that again. Futuresfundamentals.org. It's a great resource if you want to, uh, you know, kind of learn about the markets. So are they being used more because I remember when options, what's that? Yeah. But that's grown, exploded, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Particularly this year, we've seen a lot of increase in options usage. Um, you know, one of the interesting things is so, so if you think about some of the things that are happening this year, uh, people are probably more so than ever looking at the WASDE report going, what's going on? Right. Uh, and those reports, if you, if you go back and you look, you'll see they definitely are impacting the market more than ever. So one of the options we have that 
a lot of people aren't aware of is we have weekly options. So it's an option that expires on, on a Friday. We- Weekly. Weekly? Yes. Okay. So, and as you imagine, if an option's got, you know, only a week's worth of time in it, the cost is fairly low. So one of the things we've seen is we've seen on weeks when there's a report coming out, a big uptake in buying weekly options to get some protection. You know, so if you think about it, if you're a producer, and, you know, we all know producers are, are always optimists. Yes, but you don't maybe have something sold and you go, I want some level of protection because if this is a bearish report, you know, it could hurt me. Uh, and, you know, maybe you're not a long-term options user. You know, it's a way you can buy for just a couple cents protection against the potential of a bearish report. And we've seen significant growth in, in the use of these options, particularly this year. And internationally, you have expanded a great deal, have you not? We have. Uh, you know, we think, you know, we've always had a very international customer base. You know, uh, anywhere you go in the world, if you say, well, what's the price of corn doing? They're going to refer back to, to the CME corn contract. And, you know, same thing for soybeans. But having said that, you know, we're starting to see growth in other parts of the world in terms of their production. The Black Sea is one of the areas we focus the most on. Um, you know, several years ago, we launched a Black Sea wheat contract. Uh, we also launched an Australian wheat contract. We have a Black Sea corn contract. And so for people who are looking at a more global approach to managing risk, you know, a large trading company, those are great tools for them. Um, we just launched a Black Sea sunflower oil contract um, based on demand for for that product as well and I think you'll continue to see us look at where are the regional opportunities to build products to help people manage risk. It's been interesting to watch it grow from a butter and egg market which it was back in the 60s when I moved to town and uh, the risk management tools have become much more sophisticated but much more important. Yes and you know, what we try to do is we try to engage with customers, you know, everybody in, in the food value chain from yep. the producer to the end user and understand what their needs are and build products to, to help them manage those risks based on those needs, as well as, you know, make changes to the contracts we have. Uh, a great example is, you know, producers, ranchers are, make, are, are producing better and better cattle, yep. better, you know, quality meats. And so just this year, we made a change to the, the cattle contract to increase the choice select spread from 65, 35 to 70, 30 as, as you know, we're getting better and better, you know, um, production. Yeah. So we're constantly engaging with customers, trying to make sure that these contracts are the best products they can use to manage their risk. And I'll close on this note because over the years, over the decades I've been doing this, the most often asked question, what is a frozen pork belly? And then <laughs> it went away, and, but now it's back. So right now we have a bacon index. Right. And, you know, we all know pork bellies are the precursor basically to, to bacon. Yep. We all, you know, consumers think more in terms of bacon. Uh, and we have an index out there that um, we're starting to publish. Uh, you know, it could turn into a contract sometime in the near soon. Always a pleasure, my friend, and keep supporting young people in this business of agriculture. Well, thank you. Okay, Tim Andreessen, CME Group. 
Chicago. It's 23 minutes after 5 o'clock here on this Saturday morning. Good to have you along with us. We hope you make the trip every Saturday morning between 5 and 6 when we talk about agriculture and the people involved in agriculture, whether it be cattle ranching, hog production, milking cows, or producing wheat, corn, soybeans, and a lot of specialty crops. As a matter of fact, we've talked the past uh, month or so about the uh, Illinois Specialty Crop Growers Conference coming up early in the new year of 2020 because these farm folks who put up with politics and trade and uh, weather of all things this year, we've certainly seen that, are very important to you and me. As I've said often, they not only put food on the table, but they put clothes on our back, a roof over our head, and now they put energy in the tank. But Let me for a moment get back to the scholarship program at the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. And moms and dads, if you have a a young person in the family approaching college and you're taking a look at the cost of college today, take advantage of the scholarships that are available out there, whether it's through FFA, 4-H, or just private citizens who want to... uh, lay it ahead and uh, provide education to build the next generation of people involved in agriculture. want to mention a little bit more about the CME group uh, scholarship presented in my name, and I'm grateful for that. Thank them very much. But our winner this year, recipient of a $5,000 scholarship, Darby O'Connor. And Darby is a very pretty young lady, an agricultural communications major with a minor in political science at Texas Tech University. She is originally from Paxton, Nebraska, but she moved to Lubbock with hopes of continuing her knowledge of promoting the agriculture industry and growing her network. And when she is not in the classroom, You can find her serving as a chapter delegate and historian for Agricultural Communicators of Tomorrow, known as ACT, or working in the Jones AT&T Stadium for Red Raider Club in Texas Tech Athletics. A delegate of the Agriculture Future of America, which uh, a week ago, ahead of our convention, was also held in Kansas City, but Congratulations to Darby O'Connor. And then uh, a scholarship that's uh, in George Logan's name. George was a longtime broadcaster, no longer with us, but uh, was very active in our Association of Farm Broadcasting. And so we have a George Logan scholarship that this year was presented to Jillian Parent of Iowa State University. And then another name known to all of us in farm broadcasting because he was a great salesman for the uh, radio TV programming that we do, Glenn Comero, the Glenn Comero Scholarship presented to Macy Hurst, Missouri State University. And then uh, the most recent addition to the group of scholarships, the Grove Smart Scholarship sponsored by BASF, and it went to Colt Buchenroth of the Ohio State University. And all of these students involved in educational programs that uh, 
take a lot of skills in talking and writing and shooting video to cover agriculture for radio and television across the country. So congratulations to them. I mentioned too earlier at the outset this morning that uh, Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue was there yesterday to speak to the broadcasters, but at the convention earlier we had uh, Tom Vilsack, Iowa, former Secretary of Agriculture, And uh, I'm going to talk about him, as a matter of fact, in Samuelson Says this morning, because he finally had some positive news for dairy farmers. And Lord knows we need some positive news for the cow milkers out there who provide us with milk and all of the fine products that comes from the dairy cow. So Tom Bilsack was there, and uh, John Block, of course, the hog farmer from Illinois, who served as secretary in the Reagan administration. John comes to our conventions every year, and we have the opportunity to sit with him at dinner and catch up on his activities and some of the things we did together while he was secretary of agriculture, including, which to me is one of the memorable trips I've taken, a trip to Moscow back in the mid-'80s to sign the first USSR-US Grain Agreement. That's back in the days when there was a Soviet Union and uh, before perestroika and all of that sort of thing. And uh, so traveled with uh, John to Moscow to sign the US-Soviet Grain Agreement. So a lot of activity that uh, we've had and continue to have with the farm broadcasters of the United States. The markets, yeah, we talked a lot about the markets. The weather, yeah, we talked a lot about the weather, too, because 2019 is a year that will be talked about for a long time. I hope it won't be replaced by an even more challenging crop year, but this 2019 crop year will be remembered forever. Well, time to get on to news headlines and then more talk about the markets when we continue with uh, Roger here on WGN. Thank you very much, Roger. And we're back for the second half of the Saturday morning show. Max Armstrong will be joining us from the Kansas City Convention of Farm Broadcasters to talk markets with Arlen Suderman. And we always start the second half of the show with Samuelson Says. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here. And this week, talking about, finally, some positive news for dairy farmers. As you've heard, over the past year, 2019, it has been a challenging year for agricultural producers across the country, regardless of the livestock or the crops being produced on those farms and ranches. And certainly, the dairy industry has been no exception to that price challenge, as they've watched the price of the product they produce that gives us so many different products, milk. But this week at the Farm Broadcasters Convention, just in time for Thanksgiving, I guess, some very positive news for dairy farmers provided by former Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, who is now president of the Dairy Export Council. And he talked about some of the achievements in the worldwide dairy market and especially talked about Japan, where there's a 
company that sells cheese at the uh, uh, supermarkets, grocery stores, or whatever, and the uh, joint venture that they're getting into with that Japanese company that is going to increase the sale of the U.S. cheese to Japanese consumers substantially. That's just part of the good news that he had for dairy farmers. And the other part of the news is that we talk about consumption of milk declining. Well, that has slowed down a great deal and practically stopped. As a matter of fact, uh, Tom Vilsack pointed out that now, for the first time in quite a while, we are consuming the milk and the products that we produce every year. There was a time when every year we produce more of the milk and the dairy product than we could consume in this country. But he said now we're back to the point where we're consuming what we're producing. And then we've talked about the decline in milk consumption. He said that has turned around. We're moving higher again in milk consumption and fluid milk, particularly here in the United States. Flavored milk is playing an important role in that as well. And so he's looking forward to continued growth in the export market for U.S. dairy farms and the products that their cows produce. So happy Thanksgiving to you dairy farmers. A little better news than we've recently had, thanks to the Dairy Export Council. My thoughts on Samuelson Says a presentation of Nextar Media Group. And coming up, Max Armstrong will talk markets with a very special guest here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, on this weekend show, as we visit about markets a little bit, we're here at the meeting of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting with Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone. Yeah, absolutely. Good to be here, Max. Good to see you, sir. We have had all of these crop reports during the year that have been so disappointing. Uh, gazing into the crystal ball, that one looming out there in January, will it disappoint too? Well, it, I think it'll disappoint. I do think that we will see a smaller corn and soybean crop in the January report, and not as small as what a lot of people would like to see on the producer end. Um, but I think we will see some more shrinkage. And then watch the stocks reports as we go through the year. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, low test weight corn going into bin wet this year. Uh, you always pull fewer bushels out than you put in. And that low test weight means there's lower energy content in that corn. That means more bushels required to make the ethanol that you desire and more corn needed to make the gain that you need in livestock. Uh, we saw a similar scenario in 2009, and we had a big uh, stocks report surprise in June 30th of that year, following year. Uh, we're suddenly an implied feed usage a half billion bushels larger than what was anticipated um, that came from and so you know whether it'll be that big or not you know we'll have to see but I do think we will see some shrinkage as we go through that June stocks report is legendary for surprises it seems like isn't it it, it really is and that kind of gives us a feel for uh, how accurate the USDA was in estimating the size of the crop in the first place how much shrinkage we hadn't been and what was feed usage during the year what grade, by the way, thinking of it, what grade would you give USDA for its performance this year? 
Well, we know how farmers feel. Yeah, uh, USDA NAS is the envy of the world. Their surveying methodology, I think, is good. I do have problems sometimes with the results. It has more less to do with the integrity of the process and more to do with, uh, f- for example, putting a wet, low test weight crop into the bin. That needs to be factored in somehow into the production in, uh, environment when they do their stocks reports and figure up total production. So those quality so, problems aren't adequately evaluated by Yeah, it's a methodology issue, understanding the ground, how, how things work on the ground. But uh, I want to speak for their integrity. I think they try to do their best at uh, coming up with the best numbers they have and communicating it as such. This propane gas situation, is it having an effect on... Uh, dislocating the supplies, reallocating the supply that's available to the market? Is it showing up at the basis, for example? It is creating some problems. In some cases, elevators quit taking corn because they run out of propane to dry it down. And obviously, some of this corn is just way too wet to put in without being able to dry it down. So it slows the harvest. That get, increases farmer anxieties. We see winter starting to come and uh, creating problems that way. Um, so it's just another disruption in a very disruptive year. What do you think about the amount of yield adjustment USDA made in the November report? Were you comfortable with that? Did they go as much as you thought they would? Well, I thought they needed to do more, um, but I'm not going to argue with USDA numbers because that's what the market's going to trade. And uh, I've got enough gray hairs on my head to know that when you try to go against USDA in the markets, it just does, it doesn't end well. And so we have to build our plans around that uh, uh, those numbers we have. I do expect a little bit more shrinkage. I said back in late July, I thought this would be 160 bushel corn crop, plus or minus three. Um, is 163 the top end of that range still possible? Possible, not likely. I do think we could get up closer to 165. Is that enough for a bull market? No, but it does help keep some support underneath of the market. It's striking how much is still out of the field. Uh, that's, that's what you notice when you look at places like Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, 15% of the crop harvested. Uh, I feel for the farmers up there. Unfortunately, we'll probably be harvesting some of that corn in the spring thaw. We want to talk a little more with you here, not just about the domestic situation, but we, we have to watch the world closely, don't we? We really do. Everything evolves around China, whether we're trading with them or not trading with them. That's what it revolves around. We'll be back to visit with you a little more about that. Arlen Suderman, our market guest this weekend, as we will move our discussion into talking about China. Arlen, of course, is with INTL FC Stone. Arlen Suderman is back here with us from INTL FC Stone. We grow weary of the news about China, the tweets and the back and forth, the setbacks that are taking place. Why doesn't the market grow a little more weary and not respond as much as it does? I mean, we we watch the equity markets and the response is immediate there. Yeah, as frustrating as it is, uh, the funds really are dominant in the markets with the computers and with the uncertainty of the last year and a half, uh, many of the computers have simply gone to trading uh, chart signals. Uh, whatever momentum is there and whatever direction is there. We have sensed a shift in that uh, over the last couple of months. has been more optimism toward maybe a partial deal with China. I think both leaders need a deal for various reasons. Obviously, the impeachment inquiry uh, gives President Trump a need to have a political win uh, and also to have a good stock market going into the election and also support the farmer base. President Xi Jinping has significant problems at home with the shortage of protein, meat with African swine fever claiming the, uh, half, the world, uh, half of the hogs in China. 
um, and actually 60 to 70 percent down on feeding for pork production, probably down about 50 percent because they're feeding them to a lot heavier weights now. Uh, and then the pro-democracy demonstrations in Hong Kong. So they both need a pause in this. Um, but will they get it done is the question mark. If they do, we see a lot of money flowing into the commodity markets along with the equity markets. If they don't, then they could all go short again, be shorting the commodities again. So we're really at a pivotal time. A partial deal. Does that hold a promise for bringing some market response? Well, a partial deal is going to focus a lot on the ag commodities. Yeah. There's going to be other factors as well as currency and, and some IP intellectual property protection stuff. But it would focus on the agricultural commodities, see if they can come up with an agreement on that. I don't expect it to really be a bullish um, factor for the soybean market because African swine fevers is hurting demand too much. I do think it could do more than is anticipated for the corn market. Uh, China could really utilize some of our ethanol. Uh, they could use some of our corn to blend with some of their low-quality corn that they have. They could use one to two million metric tons of wheat to blend with some of their lower-quality wheat. Um, they're even, even with the African swine fever, they've shown some interest in grain sorghum, and they've made some purchases of grain sorghum, but also in DDGs. But if they took some DDGs, ethanol, in uh, a little bit of corn, that could dramatically uh, change the attitude in the corn market. Has there been buyers, uh, some buying by other buyers in the world, anticipating that China might come into the market? In other words, some, have some of our other customers, such as in Southeast Asia, acted to protect themselves? We don't get the feeling there's any big sense of buying urgency. We've seen a little bit of it in the soybean market. We've seen it in the pork market. We really haven't seen it in the other commodities too much uh, because the other commodities really aren't being discussed. And uh, I think if they would start being discussed, we would see more of that. What about the domestic ethanol industry and ethanol exports? For all of the talk about the renewable fuel standards violations, if you will, how much of a difference has that made to the corn price that there hasn't been that adherence to what the corn growers and, and the ethanol industry wants to see? Well, it's definitely been a factor over time. Uh, it, it's made us more dependent on the export market. Uh, and the export market, China, is a key factor in that. Um, China has put heavy tariffs on them. We were starting to move the ethanol anyway, and then the trade war broke out, and they just kind of shut the door on the ethanol that was going there. They could really use it. Uh, but also when you look at some of the regulations, the amount of ethanol that we send to Brazil is still smaller than what Brazil sends to California. So if we could, and it's identical ethanol, so if we could just change those regulations where California, for example, needs uh, the more advanced uh, ethanol, which is identical chemistry, we could dramatically increase demand domestically. We always appreciate the visits with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Arlen Suderman, INTLFC Stone. It's seven minutes before six o'clock news time here on WGN Radio. And keep in mind that with Thanksgiving as late as it is this year in the month of November, we'll have one more week of full trading sessions at the markets, the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange next week. But then the final week of November, we begin the slowdown and the shutdown for holidays of the uh, markets for agriculture, Thanksgiving Day on the 28th, and uh, I haven't seen the full schedule, but we know the markets will be closed on Thanksgiving Day. Many of them will be trading shorter sessions the day after Thanksgiving, so keep that in mind in your marketing plans. Last full week of trading as we go into the holiday season will be next week. 
But maybe some more positive news for agriculture because the U.S. Department said yesterday it will begin making a second round of 2019 trade aid payments to farmers next week. The payments are the second part of a three-tranche $16 billion aid package that uh, was announced in May to compensate farmers for the U.S.-China trade war because, as you know all too well, China imposed tariffs on key U.S. agricultural exports, including soybeans and pork. But farmers will now be eligible to receive 25% of the total payment expected in addition to the 50% they already received in the first round of the 2019 package. Secretary Purdue at the Farm Broadcasters Convention yesterday said uh, payments will give farmers who have had a tough year due to unfair trade retaliation and natural disasters much-needed funds in time for Thanksgiving. Sign-ups for the payments will run through December 6, and if conditions warrant, the third payment round will be made in January of 2020. The U.S. government spent some $12 billion on trade aid for farmers in 2018. Some farm groups already calling for a third year of compensation. And USDA changed the formula that it used to calculate aid farmers received, paying them different rates per county rather than per crop. A group of Senate Democrats earlier this week criticized the program. In a letter to USDA, they said the payments unfairly favored farmers in the South over those in the Midwest. But let's hope the checks in the mail will become reality before the Thanksgiving Day holiday arrives. Also have to mention the fact that it won't be uh, too many days before the world will stop in Wisconsin because it's deer hunting season and deer hunting in other Midwestern states. And that pretty much brings activity on the business front and the social front to a halt while people go out to do deer hunting. But one of the interesting items here, hunting wildlife has long been ingrained in the culture of Michigan, but it's currently on a decline across the state as young adults decide to participate in other activities. And listen to these numbers. Michigan had as many as 1.2 million hunters in the 1970s, 80s, and even into the 90s. But a report out last week said that by 2018, less than 675,000 people had at least one hunting license in the state. Fishing is also on a downward trend, although its drop has certainly not been as steep as it is in hunting. So uh, Michigan residents obtaining fishing licenses fell 5%. That's compared to an 18% decline in hunting licenses during that same period as uh, hunting becomes less popular with millennials. They just aren't doing it. Quick look at where we ended the market activity uh, for the week. Soybeans did go up slightly. Again, how many times have we heard this headline? Optimism for the U.S.-China trade deal finally getting settled. 
So at the end of the day yesterday, the January soybean contract was up one and a quarter cents a bushel, but uh, the corn and wheat traded lower. December corn down a nickel a bushel, December wheat down a nickel a bushel at the Chicago Board of Trade. <clears throat> and then as we look at uh, the uh, trade in livestock futures at the Mercantile Exchange, lean hog futures touched a two-month low yesterday. Meat packers processed more pigs to profit from the high margins, and pork processors uh, processed an estimated 485,000 pigs. That's up 1,000 from a week earlier, and it's up 20,000 from a year ago. So at the end of the session, the uh, February lean hog contract down $1.57 a hundredweight. The uh, December lied cattle contract down just two cents. And the November feeder cattle down 25 cents a hundredweight in the trade yesterday. So that's a summary of some of the highlights of the week. And we thank you for joining us. I always thank Bob. Uh, <laughs> Bob Ferguson, who does the engineering work flawlessly here on the Saturday morning show. But of course, thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us every week on the Saturday morning show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.